0: Thank you for visiting theopenword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources.
1: Welcome to the next part of this series from Alan Schaefer. Book of Romans, chapter 2. Making our way down through it. When you come back after three weeks, we'll be in Romans chapter 2. Just don't, yeah, even to two weeks, we'll still be in Romans 2. You're not going to miss anything, you know. And then after that, I'll be Okay. Now, you got something to do, I hope, other than being a vagrant.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. Yeah, one of the important things when you're retired, you got to retire to, not from. Because people retire. I'm, I am finally quit work, and then they go sit around the mall and go fishing and golfing, and they're dead in two years because they're not doing anything. So, yeah, so there's that. Well, you got things to do then, so that's good. Yeah. But in Romans chapter 2 here, um, Paul turns his attention to another group of people. We, he's talked about the people who have no idea of who God is other than through general revelation you can look up, you can see the stars, there's a God out there he's talking to those people and you have to admit that people who have no idea of who God is some of them are very pagan, extremely pagan and uh, it's easy for people who have a residual knowledge of God to say preach it brother they're awful people amen Paul Hit them again. And then Paul turns to them and says, You know, you're worse than they are. Because what you do is we play the comparison game. And that's what he's talking about here in Romans 2. Well, I'm not as bad as that group, I'm not as wicked and evil as that group. And the Bible says that in God's sight, how wicked are we? There's really no difference. Relatively speaking, there is no difference. Okay, um, if you're in the space station looking down at the Earth, do you see hills and valleys and mountains and streams and really you don't right? It all looks flat to you from up there because you're so far above it. It just it's all flat. But once you get down here you can see a little bit of variation But from God's perspective when he looks down all of us are equally sinful equally guilty and we don't like thinking of that because we look around and say well I'm not as bad as the other guy over there so God must like me a little bit better than he likes them. No we're all enemies of God and he says you don't they don't know what they're doing and he says, you are inexcusable, O oh man, every one of you who judges. The fact that you judge indicates what? And you have what? If I'm judging somebody, what do I have? What's wrong. No. Knowledge of, what's right and wrong. knowledge of what's right and wrong. I have a knowledge of it, right? Yeah. If I say something is wrong, then I must have a knowledge of what should be, yeah. Right? And he's saying, you that judge another person, don't you realize you condemn yourself? It's easy to judge somebody else, say, you know, it's awful for that person to steal. And then we go and we don't put in a good day's work or we take advantage of the company or we don't, you know, put in all of our deductions correctly on our taxes. We do the same thing. It's not, it's a matter of degree. It's easy for us to say, oh, you know, it's all that immorality is horrible and that we look at stuff that we shouldn't be looking at. We do the same thing. It's just a matter of degree. He says, you that judge those things, you do the same things. You practice the same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice those things. That's, God's judgment should fall, right? That's what God's supposed to do. Do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those who practice those things and do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Do you think that God's going to let you off the hook? You're more responsible. You know what's right. Do you presume on his riches? This is an interesting thing. The idea there is that there are people that say, well, God will forgive me. Doesn't matter what I do, God will forgive me. That's presumption. And the issue is because God's judgment doesn't fall immediately, what do we think? We got away with it or we're okay. Because God only judges the bad people. See, When you look at the Old Testament, let's think think of some examples in the Bible. You've got uh, Ananias and Sapphira. What did they do? They brought a big offering to the church. but they said they did. And what happened to them? Now, did God just have a bad hair day? What's he making a point of? Don't lie to me. Don't lie to me. Now, how many of us have done sort of the same thing that Ananias and Sapphira did, and we're still here? See, God is not unjust in exacting judgment. We think he is. But he's not. Hophni and phineas they brought strange fire before the Lord. What happened to them? They got killed. That's sort of a bad day. You know, your first, your first job as a priest, you go in there, and the next thing you know, this fire comes out and consumes you, and you're dead. And not only that, you've got to drag the bodies away. And Aaron was told, you're not supposed to mourn for them. Now what happened? Did God just have a bad day? Was He irritated that day and just... What's He trying to tell people? What, what 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 message is He trying to get across? I'm holy. I I told you what to do. You didn't do it. Yeah, I will be honored by those who come before me. Don't don't just come in your willy nilly. I've given you the instructions and you just come in. How many of you grew up in households where you had brothers and sisters in it, right? Well, when your brother or sister did something really bad and and dad punished them pretty severely, how did you react for a while? Yeah, it's like, I I don't want to go there. You know, it it had an effect on the family, didn't it? God's trying to make a point. He said, you guys think that because God doesn't judge you, because you're okay, because you seem to be all right, that therefore you are all right. Because God's not judged you like he's judged other people. He said, don't you realize you're treasuring up wrath? It's not that you're not getting it. It's just God just putting it on account, and someday you're going to be called in to pay the balance. See, it's easy to go to the store today and pull out your credit card and slap it down and buy whatever you want. But then something happens about every month. What happens? You get a bill. And when you get the bill, what do you need to do? Oh, that's time to pay the piper. All right? You're not, getting it, you're not getting it for free. God is saying every time you sin and presume on the nature of God, you're just running up a tab. And someday that tab is going to hit the max credit card limit, and it's all going to come due. Don't think you're going to escape the judgment of God because what's he going to do in... By the way, on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. See, here's the thing. There's coming a day when God's judgment is going to be revealed against sin, and in that day, no one can say he's unfair. He's not right. Why do you have a great white throne judgment? Because God wants to display to the universe that every person is getting exactly what they deserve. No more, no less. God wants it perfectly clear that nobody he's not being partial to anybody. Everybody gets what they deserve.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, in eternity there will be a difference. There will be a difference. Why would God open the books if there's no difference? I mean, implied in the fact that God's going to judge every man according to their deeds, it says in Revelation 20, implies that there's some graduation of punishment. All right? And here's the other thing. when you when, Those in hell... They have a fully informed conscience. What does your conscience do? We're going to read about that in a little bit. Everybody has a conscience, right? Yeah, it should convict you. So when you're in, when you're in those who die without the Lord in hell, they have a fully informed conscience that's telling them for the rest of eternity, you're getting what you got because you deserve it. Remember what you did. Remember what you did. Remember what you did. You're getting what you deserve. Remember what you did. And it won't shut up. It'll just keep going for all of eternity. Yeah. It's going to accuse you. and You're going to understand that God has given you exactly what you deserve. The rich man in, in hell, in, in blue, did he ever, he say, you know, God, you're being a little bit rough with me. No. He was more concerned about God going, somebody going back, telling his brothers so they wouldn't come there. Unrepentant heart. Yes, if your sins, if your sins aren't covered. Right. Absolutely, and that's what he's going to get to here. If your sins aren't covered by the blood of Christ, you have an eternity to consider just. You get what you deserve. Um, yeah, there's a difference between the Great White Throne judgment for unbelievers versus the Bemacy for us for Right. And the believers will back to your question, the believers there are that's the whole analogy of the gold, silver, precious stone. Would gold hate gold, stubble. Stone.
0: Yes. That. But we still are going to have different levels of eternity <coughs> our, mm-hmm. how were we as
1: right now I would I would I would just modify it just a little bit right. in that in the eternal state everybody's got the same eternal life yes. the same glory, the same everything so in eternity, an eternal state, we're not going to be going around, somebody have five crowns on their head and some two for all of eternity. I don't think we all get all that's the first and the last, and the last will be first. We all get the same reward. Having said that, however, in the kingdom, when Christ comes back and establishes the millennial kingdom, the Bible makes says one of our rewards as believers is to rule and reign with Christ. And depending on our faithfulness in life, we have different rewards. Nobody cares. be so different that affect us in those ways. to imagine. Yeah. I I mean, if what what's No.
0: Yeah.
1: It's it's beyond anything we can imagine. We can't imagine it. You know, I, what amazes me in Revelation 20 says, God will be with them and among them. What does that mean? It means I can talk to God like I'm talking to you. Now that blows my mind. All right. There's perfection. And the beautiful thing I like about heaven is I can't screw it up. Because if we got to heaven and God said, yeah, by the way, there's this tree over here you're not supposed to touch. We're, we're in trouble. I don't want to hear that. Yeah, where'd Sammy go? Well, she just had to touch the tree, you know.
0: Um,
1: No, it's it's, it's a... Paul's making a very big contrast here that if you don't come the way of the cross, you sit around and you may judge other people thinking that you're okay and I'm not as bad as that guy over there and that guy over there, but you're all condemned. You're all condemned. Because you... And in fact, he's making the case here, it may be worse for you because you know better. You know better. Those other people didn't know. Why did Christ say it's more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for Chorazin and Bethsaida? Now think about that. Sodom and Gomorrah throughout the entire Old Testament is like the A number one um, example Exhibit A of God's judgment on evil. Probably the number one is the flood, but number two right behind that is Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, we don't even know where Sodom and Gomorrah are. We still haven't figured out where they... We sort of know where they're at in the general area, but we have not been able to discover them yet. They've been so thoroughly wiped out, they might as well just have been erased. And God says, it's going to be better for them. You'd be better off as a Sodomite in the final judgment then you're going to be for somebody who's seen me doing these miracles and rejected. You'd be better off as one of them. And the people of Nineveh are going to rise up in judgment because they repented at the preaching of Noah, which was uh, Noah Jonah, which was probably the worst missionary of all time. I mean, he didn't want to do the job. He did, and he was actually mad. How can you, you know? Somebody said Jonah, how'd, how'd your uh, greater Nineveh campaign go? I said, well, everybody repented. Awesome. He said. I'm so mad I want God to kill me. I want I God to wipe those people out. Can you imagine being a missionary and saying that? And you know what? We all are. The message of Jonah to me is, you know, I'm more like Jonah than I'd like to think I am. All of us have that a little bit. We want God to smoke these people. Yep. Yeah. And 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 what we need to ponder in that regard is just how gracious God is to do that. It's interesting. I'm, I'm of course a World War II buff. I like history of World War II, and there are some, I would say, pretty valid accounts of some of the high-ranking Nazi war criminals who were hanged for their, their war crimes in Nuremberg, and October 16th is a bad day in history. Well, it was the day I was born. We were born, so that's great. But that's the day Marie Antoinette was beheaded, and that's the day they hung the people in Landsberg prison, the criminals um, in Landsberg prison. Um, but uh, there's some valid accounts of some of them guys maybe truly coming to know the Lord. And it's like, it's just like God to take some of these people that we would. Yeah, we would like to turn on our TV and watch them suffering in hell right now and save them. That's just like God to do that. And I think we need to ponder the fact that were it not for His grace, where would we be? The thief on the cross was not a Boy Scout and God saved him. This is the point. Here, here's the point. When you look at this, don't look around and say, why doesn't God Why doesn't God judge that person? What right does God have to save that person? Why would God show that person mercy? Don't even do that. Just say, why did God show me mercy? If you're a dog in a dog kennel and somebody comes in and adopts you, you're not saying they're bad because they didn't adopt all of the dogs in the kennel. What are you happy? You're happy that you have a home. I like what uh, John MacArthur said. If somebody gives me a pardon, I'm taking it and run. I'm not going to worry about why didn't they give pardons to everybody. I'll take mine and run. I'm sorry, you are going to... Yeah. Mhm. Yep. That's a good. That's a good reminder because you know I have some people in my family that I just like to smack upside the head a little bit, you know, and it's like, and that would accomplish what? I'm so tempted on Facebook sometimes to launch a nuclear Scud missile their way, and it's like. I ain't going to do any good. You know, Delete, you know, back away from the keyboard, don't send it, you know. Um, Paul is saying here, I think the message, the overarching message here, don't be looking around and comparing yourself to other people. Why doesn't God do this? Or Why doesn't God judge that person? Or why, what gave God the right to redeem this person? Thank God that he redeemed you. And if God wants to redeem the worst sinner of all time, what do the angels in heaven do? Why shouldn't you? That's the problem with the Jews. The Jews were mad. One of the reasons the Jews rejected Christ is because why will you let these gentile people get in on the promise? I want them all to go to hell and die. They're dogs. They're, they're fuel for hell. Why, you, why show them any mercy? I'm just glad God showed me mercy. And we need to rejoice when somebody comes to know the Lord. We need to rejoice, and when we see these great sinners. There should be a part of us that is sad because they don't know the Lord. Why did the Jeffrey Dahmers of the world do what they did? They're sinners. Why did anybody do? Sin- they're sinners. They don't know any better. We need to pray for them. And he's saying God's righteous judgment is going to be revealed someday who will render, now um, that's my Don Ingram recap of last week. Sorry. He will render each one according to his works. Now when you look at this at first glance, you say, oh, it's work salvation. No, that's that's not what's going on here. He's not making that point. He's not saying you're saved by works. All right? He's trying to make a point that our actions have consequences. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. So if you're seeking for glory, honor, and immortality, why would you seek for that? Why would you seek for that? Because he's saying there's somebody who seeks for glory and honor and immortality. the next verse says there are some people that are self-seeking. What is the difference between the redeemed and the unredeemed? One difference. That's the difference. The difference is, if you're a believer, what do you seek after? You seek for glory, honor, and immortality. You seek for something outside yourself. You're not worried about what you get. You're worried about something else. That's just the standard statement he's making. See, he's going to clarify the gospel later on. This is not a work salvation. But in the context of those who like to go around talking about, you know, well, God owes me this and God owes me that, he's saying he's going to render to everyone according to their works. To those who by patience and well doing, the idea of patience there is to put up under, to And it's going to render, renders, epodenomy He's going to give you to whatever it is that you're seeking. He'll give you eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey truth, self-seeking contentious there is a factious person, somebody who's always arguing, always debating, always... Stirring things up. And here's the thing. Think about this, all right? In God's kingdom, what, what, what is the number one characteristic of those who are part of God's kingdom? Love, which means what? What are you, what are you interested in? You're interested in others. What is the number one characteristic of Satan's kingdom? What's in it for me? That's why Satan's kingdom will never work. see. See, there's two basic ways to work a community of beings in the universe. One is, those beings seek everybody else's good, in which case, what will you get? If you're you're seeking the good of everyone else, what do you have? Harmony. If you're seeking for what you get out of it, what do you get? Mine, 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 me, mine. It doesn't work. Satan's Satan's, uh, philosophy of existence is not going to work because it's centered on what do I get, what do I want. I'm in 8 yeah and what we're talking about here is that what brings what makes heaven heaven is that you're gonna have 20 billion people there all of which are interested in your well-being and you're not gonna have factions saying you know we we don't like our uh, location around the throne we want to get a little bit closer we think we have to need, we, we want more of this or more of that. or nobody, Everybody's focused on everybody else. What makes the Trinity so harmonious? Because all three members of the Trinity are focused on what? Each other, not on themselves. Christ did not say, I want to hang on to this glory thing. I don't want to go down there and die for the sins of the world. What did he do? He gladly gave it up. The Holy Spirit is not saying, you know, I hate being a third man here. You know, I, I, I want to be the, No, what does the Holy Spirit do? He points people to Christ and to the Father. What does the Father do? The Father glorifies the Son. There's harmony in the, in the Godhead. In a home, what makes a home a good home? You're caring for everybody else. You're not in there for, well, you know, you didn't do this right for me today. You know, that kind of thing. I'll Wait for that. Those people,
0: um, starting with the very first down through where you are, those people are on a dark spiral downward. But if you think that leaves you on the high ground where you can point your finger at others, think again. Every time you criticize someone, you condemn yourself. It takes one to know one. Judgmental criticism of others is a well known in your own crimes and misdemeanors, but God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. You didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others, you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down on you hard? Or did you think that because he's such a nice God, he let you off? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but He's not soft. In kindness, He takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. You're not getting by with anything. Every refusal and avoidance of God adds fuel to the fire. The day is coming when it's going to blaze hot and high. God's fiery. those who insist on getting their own way and take the path of least
1: resistance they get fire. Yep. and the contrast here he, he's really focusing in on those who reject God all right and, he, and to draw the contrast he has to contrast with those who seek immortality it's a contrastive thing it's not saying here's how you get immortality you seek after these things because everybody's sort of seeking after those for personal reasons. He's trying to draw a contrast, but he's focusing in on those who are self-seeking and says, and do not obey the truth. The idea of do not obey is a refusal to believe. It carries the idea of a refusing. I will not do what God tells me to do. I know what he wants me to do, but I'm not going to do it. I refuse. It's a settled refusal. As a present active participle, what does that mean? They're doing it right now. They're just they're refusing to believe. They're refusing to do what, they, what was right. I will not do it. They do not obey truth, but what do they? What do they obey? What is that unrighteousness? Anything opposite of God. That righteous God is righteous. What is unrighteousness? Anything that's not righteous. It's the opposite. If you seek for that, you're not going to get. And the the obey there is obey for themselves. The, it's, it's uh, Greek has this thing called a middle voice, all right? And the idea of a middle voice, an active voice is, I hit the ball. So the subject of the sentence hits the direct object, right? I, subject, verb hit, the ball is the direct object. The passive voice is, the ball hits me. All right, that's the passive voice. The middle voice is, I hit myself with the ball. All right, it's a reflexive thing. They're saying these people reflectively do not obey for themselves, they will not obey. So who are they obeying? Yourself. You're not listening to God, you're doing what you want to do. You're going your own way. You live your life the way you want to live it. See, there's God's way and everybody else's way. So Cain comes along and God says, I want you to bring me a sacrifice. And Cain says, I'll bring you through the land that's good enough for you. And God says, No, it's not. And of course, what does Cain do? He gets mad at God. Because, see, Cain was obeying himself, not God. You can obey yourself. You can do what you want. You can obey sin because you're the slave of sin, right? See, that's the thing people don't understand. Well, I don't want to obey God because I want to be free. Are you free? We're going to find out about that in Romans 6 in about a year and a half. In Romans 6, what does Paul say? You're a slave to sin or you're a slave to Christ. Pick one. You, you, you can't be a slave of Christ and a slave to sin, nor can you be a slave to sin and a slave to Christ. You've got one master. He's saying if you obey Truth, but obey unrighteousness, what are you going to get? Wrath and fury. Wrath and fury. Those are two interesting words. They're both the Greek word for anger. By the way, you are my practice group for my Greek, just so you don't understand, all right? So get this, all right? And anger there is orge, which is a settled anger against sin. It's not, it's something that is just. God's wrath is one of his essential attributes. He is angry with sin. It, he is repulsed by it. Think of something that just, when you see it, you just have this visceral anger towards it, like, that's wrong. That's orge. It's a settled, firm, smoldering anger. Fumas is the other word there, and it means to throw gas on a fire. It's the explosive anger. Now, in the Bible, it says be angry and sin not. Have war gay, but don't sin. But thumos is a tough one for us because thumos is, usually means we get offended by something from us and we get mad at somebody and say something we shouldn't say. We explode. The only being in the universe that can explode and not sin is who? God. Someday God's anger is going to literally explode against sin. He's got a subtle, firm anger now. The wrath of God is being revealed. But someday the fire is going to fall. It'll be the thumos anger. And he's telling, these, say you guys are just storing this stuff up. And someday it's going to be a bad day for you. God's going to erase the universe someday and start over again. Why does he erase the universe? Well, this one's all messed up, isn't it? He's got to start over again. God is not in the remodel business. He is in a tear down and replace business. I like what Vance Hamner says. God is not a new page in your old book. He gets rid of the book and gives you a new book. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being that does evil. Tribulation. To be squeezed. Philipsis means to be squeezed. You ever get somebody, that, that, that you just you feel squeezed and hemmed in on all sides? That's tribulation. It was used to uh, squeeze out grape juice to get grape, or grapes to get grape juice. And then anguish is narrowness of space, extreme afflictions, being put through a very narrow space. I don't know if you've ever been, where you got to like crawl through this really narrow, constricted space, and you feel squeezed and hemmed in, and, God's saying, there's going to come a day when your freedom is going to, you're going to be squeezed in. You're going to get tribulation and distress for everyone who does evil. Now, who does evil? Um, Everybody does evil, but the reason you would get tribulation and distress is because your evil is not dealt with. He's not gotten to the gospel yet. You've got to understand that. He's going to work his way to it. He's trying to get everybody to understand how bad you are. You think you're okay because you're not as bad as somebody else. You think you're okay because you compare yourself with other people. You're worse off. Because you are self-seeking. You do not obey the truth. You obey unrighteousness. You obey yourself. You do your own thing. And someday God's going to let all of that just pour out all over you. Do it there is an interesting word. It means to work hard at. You ever see people work hard at sin? They, they actually spend a lot of energy to sin. It's not like you just dilly dally around with it. They're actually focused on it, doing this thing. He so said, you, you guys work really hard at sinning. You're going to get who does evil is just the ugliest word in the. Language just means all kinds of evils. Any wickedness, immorality, everything. It's the opposite of that which is good. When you practice that kind of stuff and you do it, and again, this word here, the the doeth, is in the middle voice, which means I'm working hard for myself. I'm really working hard at this thing for myself to do evil. A lot of energy. He says, and where does it start? The Jew first and also the Greek. Now, the Greek here is the is Gentile, the, the non Jew. In the Jewish mindset, there's us and then there's everybody else. And God is saying here that, you know, who gets it first? Jews. Why? They're God's people. You walk into a room with screaming kids, you start at yours first, but then who? Do, you don't stop there, do you? But who do you start with? Your own. You work out from there. God is saying, I'm going to start with the Jew, but the Gentile gets it. Because in the Jew's mind, it's like, he's going to go to the Gentile. They're the bad people. We're good. We're okay. We're God's people. We're in. That's what the Pharisees thought, right? We're in. Well we're Abraham's descendants, we don't know about you, but we, we are from Abraham. God said I, Christ said I could make I could take these stones and raise up children to Abraham. That doesn't mean anything. Later on He's gonna say, Who is the true Jew? The one who is an ethnic Jew or the one who is a one who believes in the heart? That's the true Jew. He wanted to. He wanted to. He wanted to. I, I, you know, I don't know why God does a lot of things. I don't know why it was Abraham and it wasn't Jacob. I mean, not, not his son Jacob, but another guy, or Joe or Sam or, or somebody else. I don't know why. In fact, God says, you know, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest of all people. You were the least. Why did he choose Abraham? I have no idea but he did I I'm still flummoxed on that one seriously I I look at myself in the mirror I look at myself in the mirror and I say why in the world what whatever would cause God to ever want to give me the time of day why would he ever show mercy to me you know I'm like John MacArthur I'm gonna grab my pardon and run I'm not going to worry about why didn't he do it to somebody else. Why did he do it to me? Why did he save me? I, I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. You know, and that's part of what I guess he gets the glory. You know, when I get to heaven, and, and we're going to see this in Romans chapter 3 coming up. Um, the reason God did it this way is because nobody could get into heaven and say, you know, Jack, how'd you get here? Well, you know, I gave up my life and I... Did this and I did that and I did this and well I know a guy over here, you know, he was martyred for his faith. He's got one up on you. And then we what would we what would we be doing for all of eternity? But what happens when you go to eternity and somebody says, What are you doing here? I didn't expect to see you here. You can say, Well, I didn't expect to see myself here either, but it's by the grace of God that I'm here. It's not because of anything I did. It's because of what he did. We love him because he first loved us. God takes the initiative. We're going to find that in Romans. If God does not take the initiative, nobody believes because we're all gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We have no no desire for God. What are we doing? We're obeying ourselves. We're in it for number one. What are we told when you get born? You're in it for number one yourself. We don't need to be taught that. we just naturally do it. You know How many of you taught your kids how to sin? I'm going to give you some lessons in selfishness junior let's let's work on this a little bit. You don't need to do that, right? Yeah, yeah they come natural to them. but listen, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good the Jew first and also the Greek. now again he is not talking here about the basis of salvation that's not what he's talking about okay he's talking about the actions that people do so 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 separate those two things out when I look around and I see someone who is selfish obeying unrighteousness working hard at being a a, Unbeliever, you know, sinful things, what is my assumption of them? They are not what? They're not saved. If I see someone who struggles with sin, who wants to do the right thing and wants to honor the Lord and wants to obey Christ, what is my assumption of them? We all struggle, but they're seeking for something alright this is not talking about the, the basis for why they're this is just saying that as you look around and see people in the world there's groups of people that are seeking after God there why and why do they seek after God to honor the Lord to do the right thing because they are believers that's the, that's the external piece and then there's the external component of people who disobey God they're, they're evil they're wicked they're doing their own thing and Paul is saying what happens um, people who do evil Jew first, Greek, they're going to get judged. The people who are striving for glory and honor and immortality and peace because they're believers, that we're not, he's not talking about that yet. When you Externally, when those people are seeking that, what do they get? They get glory and honor and peace. They get eternal life. Again, this is not the basis for it. It's just saying we're fruit inspectors, okay? I don't see your halos and I don't have a copy of the book of life so I don't know if you're a Christian or not other than if I look at your life and I see someone who loves the Lord who wants to honor the Lord who is concerned about their sin who wants to make God look good what am I going to assume about that person yeah If I see someone who could care less about God or care less about Christ or care less about doing the right thing and actually wants to do evil and wickedness and sin What's my conclusion? They're not a believer. We are. I don't know what your heart is. But I can look at someone and say, you claim to be a Christian, yeah? Then why are you doing this evil? Why are you living in immorality and drunkenness and carousing? You say you're a Christian, but your claim is not congruent with what you're doing. It doesn't line up. Now, do I have a copy of the Book of Life, and can I see their name, whether it's written down there or not? No, I can't. we got to be very careful with that. You never want to judge somebody. Jenny's right. I, I can't judge anybody. I can say, though, on the basis of what the Bible says, if you're seeking for evil and doing evil things, that tells me you're probably not a believer. If you're trying to do the right thing, even though you slip up and mess up sometimes, like I got really mad at that lady that last yesterday that trying to park you ever try to park at Crocker Park it's rough so I'm I'm there waiting to park and somebody decides to sit there and park and wait for somebody to you know she's just sitting there sitting there and I got really irritated I said a bad word and I went around her confession I felt bad about it though now if I wasn't if I didn't feel bad about it what would tell What would that tell you yeah but it's just like the point is we all struggle let's let's face it but if you're a christian this is the operative concept if you're a christian what do you do you struggle and you confess if you're not a christian hang it i don't care what's that yeah if you're a christian you're if you're saved you know you, you it, and that's that's really the message of the new testament if you say you're a christian you should live like it is not talk of perfection
0: there are a couple of scriptures that um one of which is psalm 51 where david mm-hmm. says we're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity another is
1: uh, john 1:10 if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and, uh,
0: Mm-hmm. And that's because there are levels of sin, mm-hmm. and in reality, I, you, we
1: are not as bad as John Wayne Gacy. John right. John Dahmer. Yeah. So, so the,
0: I'm not in any way disagreeing with anything that's been said, but I'm saying, on the one hand, in sin and shaped in iniquity, so mm-hmm. even if yeah. you don't do, even if you are Enoch,
1: mm-hmm. who gets raptured because you're so perfect, yeah. okay, you're still born in sin and shaped in iniquity, right. so that should keep me from pointing fingers, but then again, I point fingers because I'm not as bad as John Wayne Gacy. Right. Yeah. So I think,
0: that, but but so I that our perspective
1: or God's perspective? Yeah yeah that's the point see here's the here's the point let's say let's say God said you know, well there are certain sins that are worse because of the way the impact on society but from God's perspective sin is yeah and and going back to you know maybe it, the way I, I often think about this Sammy is let's say God says okay for you to get into heaven you need to pay me a sum of one billion dollars to get into heaven I've got fifty cents. You've got a quarter. Denny's got a nickel. Are we gonna make it? Now I can look around and say, well, you know what? I got ten times what Denny has. Yeah, but I'm still quite a bit short. Yeah, I'm still way short, right? We don't we don't so so yeah, so so we are inspectors. We are we are fruit inspectors, but we're not to judge, condemn the motives of other people. We can't do that. Yeah, I mean, look at the sin that Adam and Eve committed. They just ate the wrong fruit. You know, you talk, they weren't serial killers. They didn't kill billions of people. Well, they sort of did when they sinned, but I mean, they did not murder anybody. They did, you know, none of that stuff. It's just. They disobeyed what God said. See? So from the eternal grand scheme of things, all sin is equally bad. However, in God's economy, there are judgments depending on... We have that. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. I had a yeah yep I had a very wonderful aunt that I lived with in um in Oberlin that was a Catholic, and I went to her on many occasions and she just could not get she was a good person, she was a great person, she was one of the kindest people I've ever known. And she just couldn't get through her head why God would judge her because of, she was so nice. And and that's the struggle. And what Paul's trying to get at here is that when you're comparing yourselves around, that's very dangerous to do because you think that because you're not as bad as somebody else, you're okay. When God's thing is, what are you seeking? Are you seeking glory and honor and immortality? Are you seeking the right things? Is your life matching up with your salvation or are you not seeking that and again this is not talking about the means and grounds of salvation just saying outwardly externally when we look around he's saying to people you look around and you see people you're comparing yourself to how good you are but listen God sees the heart and you're doing the same thing for listen and this is verse 11 for God shows no partiality Respect of persons. God shows no partiality. Not show favoritism, partiality, respect of persons. God doesn't show any of that. And this is, by the way, this is only used in Ephesians 6, 9, Colossians 3, 25, and James 2, 1, which talks about how we treat people differently depending on externals. Here's the thing. God does not look at your externals and judge you on your external actions. That's what he's saying, right? What is God looking at? Your heart. You're, you're nailed on that one. Now, we compare ourselves externally because we don't have a view of the heart. But God is saying you need to... God shows no partial... God doesn't care if you're what race you are, what nationality you are, what gender you are, what, none of that. None of that matters to God. All that matters to God is do you know Christ or you do not? Now, he's going to get to that later on. David was pretty much of a scoundrel. Yep. Yep. All right? He was a bloody man. In fact, he was, in fact God says, you know, I really can't let you build my temple because... All right? So the, the message for us here is that, listen, let's be careful not to judge other people. That doesn't mean we don't inspect fruit. We do. God calls us to do that. But I can't judge the motives of the heart No one's going to stand before me and give an account of themselves eternally. We all stand before God. The problem is he's got the eternal measuring stick, and when he pulls that out, none of us in and ourselves will measure up. Some of us might be a little bit better off than others, but in the grand scheme of things, nobody can come up with with the money needed or the merit needed to enter heaven. We're all far short of that. So we'll pick up with verse 12 next week. We're smoking, man. We're you know five verses a week. This I gotta slow down here. We'll slow down a little bit. Well, Romans is such a great book and you, and you gotta the thing about it is you gotta read it and then you gotta step back and just think about what is the picture that he's trying to paint here. And he's trying to say, when I look around the people, I see those groups of people that are seeking for godly things, seeking for righteousness, seeking to be holy. Oh, they might struggle with sin, but they're certainly trying to be a godly person, which tells me that there's probably something underneath that. But then these other people that aren't seeking for that. They're seeking for their own thing. And they're thinking that they're okay because they're not as bad as other people in their group. And he's saying, you know, you're all equally bad eternally. That's a good point. I like that. I like that point. You know, because really the, the sin of Adam and Eve was not that they ate the wrong fruit, but why did they eat the wrong fruit? Because they said, I think God's holding out on me. I don't trust Him. He's not, He's holding out on me. Yeah. Yeah. We can, we can discuss till the cows come home why they did it. The bottom line, they did it. So as a believer, what do I want to do? I want to obey God. I don't always pull it off. But I want to. I desire to. Why? Because God's changed me. Yeah, don't touch the ark. He did, and God killed him. So you know, come on, God. He's keeping your box from falling on the ground. God said, no, you're not supposed to carry it that way. How did God tell him to carry it? Don't put it on a cart of ox, don't put on an ox cart. But here's the problem. Uriah was the son of Abinadab, and where would had the ark been for a few years? In Dad's house. So what it had it become to Uzziah? The box in the corner. It became familiar. And God says, No. It doesn't work that way. He wanted to study it. But but the box had been in his house. To him it had become a box. And God said, no, you don't touch it. So we'll pick up with verse 12 next week. Thanks, Father, for today and for teaching us and help us to ponder these truths. It's easy for us to look around and think that we're better than other people. And uh, that just shows how wicked we are. And uh, help us to be overwhelmed with the wonder of grace that you've given us. And even when people come to know you that we think don't deserve it, remind us that we don't deserve it either. In fact, none of us deserve it. The fact, that any of us are redeemed is a wonderful thing. And I uh, just thank you for this word, and I pray that we ponder this truth this week, think about it, Thank you again for this time of study and for the service to Christ's name.
0: Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.